and Marotta. Bickley and Marotta mornings. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Bickley Blast. There have been a few times this season when alarm bells have been ringing on Planet Orange when our NBA team has produced recurring moments of trauma and Sunday's loss to the Bucks was one of them. And that's because on Sunday, the Bucks grinded out a victory over a Suns team that coughed up a lead late and came up lame in crunch time when Drew Holiday again stripped Devin Booker on a huge endgame possession. So in some ways, it was a fitting end to an for a team whose championship window seemed to slam rather abruptly on that very play from Holiday way back in the 2020 NBA Finals. Because if we're lucky, Sunday will be the last game before the Kevin Durant era begins. A player who will change everything. The kind of player who can pick up the slack for Booker on games like Sunday. A player for whom the rest of the NBA has no answer. Now there are still reasons for worry. You look at the Bucks and the way they can put teams in a straight jacket with guys like Giannis, Holiday, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, Javon Cowder, Carter and Jay Crowder and you wonder who are the defensive anchors in Phoenix on our NBA team. So I think Sunday's game proves we are ready for a new path. It proves we are ready for the KD era to begin because I think we learned again on Sunday that the Booker Paul Suns are really, really good but they're flawed enough to get you beat at the summit and unfortunately that's where they keep the trophy all right today's bickley blast brought to you by my great friends at chapman bmw who have two great locations and they make luxury affordable you can find them online at chapmanbmw.com you know i think everybody's in a good spot um, i'm sure kev's coming back soon you know, so we can see what that looks like um it's so exciting times you know it's the last stretch of the season 20 games left and we're trying to find the chemistry and flow you play with uh, kd allen starter i mean what what's that like what it be like for you guys we'll see wednesday is he supposed to play wednesday come on I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> you know, he's been obviously ramping up and getting ready. So that means that during practice, you've been playing with him. And then you go in a game, and you're not playing with him. I mean, we've only got up and down one time in practice together. Um, you know, that's just finding the flow. But, you know, we, I've played without him for eight years of my career, so I know how that goes. Um, but I'm just looking forward to, you know, him being back healthy, ready to go, and, you know, us making this run late, you know, to get ready for the postseason. Yeah, is Wednesday finally the the day we see number 35 roll out in the Suns uniform in Charlotte against the Hornets. Right now, Monday morning, it feels mm. that way, but last week at this time, we were looking at last Friday's game against Oklahoma City. Then maybe looking at yesterday's game against Milwaukee. Um, so you never know. There's going to be the utmost of caution paid and mm-hmm. for a player of, of, of that ilk. Um, it, that's, that's the norm in the NBA now, but I think if, if Charlotte is not the first game for Kevin Durant, there's going to be a lot of impatient people. There's already some impatient people. I think a lot of the Suns fan base is going to be like, what are we doing here? Yeah, well, the fact that we're inside to, or we're at 20 games to yes. the end of the regular season, that's that, that's still a good chunk of schedule to, to get something going. And again, it, it's important to get something going. The team, I, I'll say this repeatedly, that the fringe guys, when you have a, a big two or a big three like the Suns hope to lean on, maybe even a big four, that the fringe guys become less important. But at the same time, there's got to be a foundation. There's got to be an identity. There's got to be a team that knows 
knows who they are. You know what I mean? Yes, and and, and what's interesting there, too, uh, Vic, is in the Suns' last three games, so that goes back before the the All-Star break, they went into the All-Star break on a loss to the Clippers. Then they played Oklahoma City, but then they got the Bucks. In two of those three games, you saw teams that are getting their stuff together. Mm-hmm. The Clippers played very well against the Suns. They went out. They added Russell Westbrook, whether or not that pays dividends or not. But I think the consensus was that's a team the Suns don't want to see in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, because the Clippers, because of their star power, mm-hmm. uh, because of the way they play against the Suns. If the Suns are fortunate enough to get to the finals, Milwaukee pr- proved to be, you know, uh, they're really good. And they're going to be right there. But what is contributing to this, not fear, paranoia a little bit, I guess, is the fact that, again, we still haven't seen what the Suns look like no. with Kevin Durant. No. And a lot of that will be alleviated once we see it. Potentially, if it goes well, and it, yeah, who's, well, who's it expecting well. that it won't go well? I mean, it will go well. He's he is he's a top three player in the league. A lot of people still peg him as number one right now. Wherever he's he he he's going to be the best player on the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. So the Suns are adding who is going to be their best player. So that's pretty fairly significant on a team that has Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So I I do think that they'll they'll find a way to get a flow. I, I'm not really concerned about that. But again, it's there's there are roles that need to be defined and to get roles to find you got to get a rotation to find and, and and that team that seems to me to be real tricky here because you got a lot of pieces that I don't know how they're going to choose what is best for this basketball team I mean there's enough enough players in those roles potentially where you're going to have options I don't think Monty Williams is going to be hamstrung and has to play guys that are struggling because mm-hmm. he, he does have options we haven't seen much of T.J. Warren. We haven't seen any of Darius Baisley. We've seen touches of Terrence Ross. But then, you know, what what happens with Torrey Craig, who, by the way, has been above average in his time as a starting forward for the Suns. I agree. Even when he was filling in for, for Cam Johnson, I think he, he overperformed. Uh, right now, if it's Kevin Durant plus Paul Booker and Ayton, I think most people are kind of looking at Josh Okoge to be that fifth starter to play to play big minutes. So th- there are mm-hmm. options, but it was a little bit disconcerting to hear Monty Williams talk about you know struggling to find a rotation yesterday. If you didn't hear it earlier, this was uh, after the game yesterday in Milwaukee when Monty Williams was asked, hey, T.J. Warren, he can put the ball in the hole. Why is he on the end of the bench? There's a lot of guys to play. Okay. You know, we're already playing uh, yeah. 10, yeah. you know. So to play him, you got to bump somebody out. And um, we feel like we have a decent rhythm with... D-Lead, and um, for the most part, J.O. and, and Tori have been banning that, that starting spot, and then here soon we're going to get Kevin, and that's going to knock somebody else out. And so you can't play everybody, and uh, I explained that to the group yesterday. We need a great deal of sacrifice from the group. Um, so there may be a shot for him to play, but right now we feel like we have a decent rhythm with the guys we're playing. Yeah, by, by the way, uh, me and Sarah have listened to it. It sounds like he's saying here soon, not I assume with uh-huh. Durant. Okay. Here soon we're going to get Durant. It's not crystal clear, but that's what I'm hearing. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate that because it changes But the even meaning. Devin Booker was saying it rhetorically it, like, is he, he going yes. yeah, to play? Exactly. Is he, is he going to play? So I, I think that the tone of what we're talking about is still correct. Um, yeah, listen, I, I, I think that a, a lot of these things are, are – 
issues for this basketball team. Like if you were if you were to watch yesterday's game, you'd have said, okay, this that that's a good game from Jock Landale. Comes in, gives that pick and pop energy that he can give the team. You would say, all right, he might have you know hits the offensive glass exactly, exactly. But but then you start to to you know extrapolate what the NBA playoffs look like, and these are they sound like small decisions, but you you got to get this right. Yes, and, and going back to that soundbite from Monty, too, he mentioned Damian Lee. Good flow with Damian Lee. Well, what's been his strength this year? Damian Lee's been a, a knockdown three-point shooter. That's right. Except, recently, he is not. In he's his last six good. games, yeah. he's shooting 14% from three-point range. Mm-hmm. So, well, again, when you have these moving pieces and all these options to go to, this is the time to I find know. out who's going I, to step yes. up. And Damian Lee hasn't yes. been that guy right no, now. No, I totally I agree. I think he's been great for most of the year, just recently has not really been that that effective. And this is going to be nutty, man, because you got your teams that are on the outside looking in right now. You've got the Pelicans, and a lot of people thought they were going to be a sleeper team. You've got the resurgent Lakers. Oh, they're just, oh, they, were just, oh. they were just waiting in the wings, biding their time, going through the motions. Now right. they're... Now they're ready to go. They're definitely resurging on ESPN. This Vanderbilt kid, this is everything they needed, man. Oh, yeah, they're surging on ESPN. I I like what they did at the trade deadline. No, they did. Um, But um, we got rid of Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, it's... They traded one wrestle for another, and now he's hurt. Uh, How bad was it yesterday? When you watch a Mavericks-Lakers game, don't you just root for a tie? <laughs> it's really no hard contest. to be happy that one of those teams loses, or, or one of those teams wins. You root for a, a leak in the roof. That's what you root <laughs> that's, for. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, game doesn't happen. I still, I Nobody still, gets hurt. Listen, I still cheer for the Mavericks in that standpoint. Really? I, yeah. It's it, listen. The Mavericks are far more recent to me. I yeah. But I also don't hate Luca the way you do. So it's hate's it's a, a strong different. word. <laughs> And that's why and he appro- used it. That's why he used it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That didn't come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, last week, Michael Bidwell gave us some insight on the Cardinals' thinking on the Sean Payton pursuit. Payton ends up in Denver. And many people are asking the question, why exactly did he end up in Denver? And I think that question is a pretty, pretty valid one right now. We'll get into that and more next. It's Pickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. It is the Monday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings. Hope you all had a great weekend. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell with you until uh, t- t- 10 o'clock. We are back to a normal week. As normal as we can be on this show, let's be honest. Yeah, we're... Uh, last week, Newsmakers Week was a uh, rousing success. 25 guests over four days. If you missed any of it, you can always catch up at ArizonaSports.com or the Arizona Sports app. They, yeah. Uh, the, the, the web team did a great uh, job of kind of cataloging everything. One of the interviews we had, we had a two-segment interview in studio with Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell. And he kind of opened up on the process of finding a head coach and landing on Jonathan Gannon, but part of the pursuit before the Cardinals settled on Gannon, and, and settled is not the right, but before they hired Gannon, mm-hmm. was the pursuit of Sean Payton. And Michael Bidwell told us it wasn't about his compensation as far as payment goes, because we know he's making a pretty penny to be the head coach mm-hmm. of the Denver Broncos. It was more about the draft compensation. Um, Sean Payton ends up in Denver. Then there was the stories, uh, Super Bowl week of Terry Bradshaw saying, oh, Sean Payton didn't want to work with Kyler Murray. Doesn't want to work with Russell Wilson either. But um, 
the, the article that The Athletic came out with on Friday, and it, and it was published, I believe, right at the tail end of our show or after we got off the airwaves. Mm-hmm. But this in-depth depiction of a season of absolute dysfunction, and, and I, I'm not going to say that the, the Broncos were more dysfunctional than the Cardinals because I think the Cardinals was more widespread, but from the Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett standpoint... Mm-hmm. That was a marriage made in hell. The, um, there's a there's a real strong lesson to be learned and takeaway to be had from the Russell Wilson signing with Denver and everything that has uh, subsequently occurred, and that is never ever ever sacrifice everything in the organization in the pursuit of one guy mm-hmm. because it's not going to work out for you because it, this completely emasculated the head coach the the level at which Russell Wilson was allowed to be involved again. You can blame Russell Wilson for having all this power was given to him. I don't think he went in and demanded it. I think the Broncos were so desperate yes. to trade for him, they gave him everything. But also, it was the power that was accumulated over his decade in Seattle, yep. too, and that was part of the yep. story, is that Russell Wilson was lobbying to get both Pete Carroll, the head coach, and John Schneider, the general manager, fired, and that was the belief. Russell Wilson actually went to social media to refute all of that. Here was Brian Clark from ESPN on Russell Wilson, uh, you know, his, his desire, reported desire to get Pete Carroll fired. The problem is this. Because of Russell Wilson's well-crafted public persona and the things we've always wanted to believe about him or the things he's always wanted everyone to believe about him, when we hear Russell Wilson may have wanted a coach fire, we go, oh, everybody clutches their pearls. Russell Wilson's a human who has emotions about other people that may not be positive sometimes. That's football. That's life. That's business. And so I don't care how he looks. It's actually not my job to judge how Russell Wilson looks. My job is to judge how Russell Wilson plays. Russell Wilson wanted Sean Payton. Russell Wilson now has Sean Payton. Now, Russell Wilson better look better than he looked last year because then it won't matter who he has to be fired because they'll be trying to fire him. I I think Mm -hmm. what's happening here Mm -hmm. is this ongoing uncovering of the real Russell Wilson. It's been talked about for years. The guy's, you know, a bit full of himself. The guy's a bit phony. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a turnoff in the locker room to a lot of players. Mm-hmm. But that story highlighted in that Rams game, I believe it was the Christmas Day game, the Rams absolutely blasted Denver, 51-14. to And that was a bad Rams team at that point in the season. And there was a, a stretch where there was back-to-back plays where Russell Wilson got sacked. And I went back and I watched the highlights. On neither one of those plays did any offensive lineman or any teammate go help Russell Wilson up. He climbed no. off the ground by himself. No. That led to a sideline mm-hmm. altercation between Brett Rippon, the backup quarterback, and some offensive linemen that involved pushing. Uh, and then Russell Wilson came over and tried to patch things up. I just think he he wore on guys. And a lot of it had to yeah. do with... Because he's not one of the he's guys. Not, no, he came... Yeah. In, uh, can you imagine coming into a new team mm-hmm. and making the demands and them giving 
up the, that power to Russell Wilson. That was an organizational failure by the Broncos. Without but a doubt. Russell just, Wilson talking about having an open door policy to his office so teammates could come in. That's very that's gracious disgusting. of him. Very <laughs> gracious. <laughs> Generous, gracious. Yeah, that is, yeah, I heard that and I thought to myself, okay, this is part of the issue here. Yes. Uh, the Broncos allowed Russell Wilson to put himself above everybody else on that football team and that is the issue they have. I, I think I think there's a takeaway for Kyler Murray as well here. The the idea of you better bond with the people you play football with, particularly your offensive line, yes. and you don't you can't be you can't be one of the guys by being um, exclusive or reclusive or hard to get or hard to talk to or wearing your beats all the time and shut off. You you, you can't be doing that. Yeah, you, the open book policy has to be to your person and your personality, and you've got to walk through a locker room and be able to just mess with everybody because those are the kind of quarterbacks that lead. That's what Patrick Mahomes has. That's what Josh Allen has. Yeah, that's what Joe Burrow has. It's but, not it, Russell Wilson's missing it, and he hasn't had it for a long period of time. And, and Kyler Murray's still searching for it. Yeah, and I think it's still. I, I think at this point he can still find it. The here's the deal. So Russell Wilson, as the years went on, he thought that he was just a mass level superstar. And so when the Broncos rolled around and started treating him like the superstar he thought he was, he bought it all. That whole office in the facility is just that's mind blowing to me that that he even thought it was appropriate to say, I've got an open door policy. (laughs) Really? You mean why are you not in the locker room? Talk to my secretary. Yeah, right. We'll schedule right. a lunch. We'll schedule yes. a lunch. <laughs> I'm busy this week, but maybe next well, week. Yeah, but again, the, 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 those days are over now. So Russell Wilson, if he honestly really does want Sean Payton, and I would think that Russell Wilson realizes I better get some success back in my life, um, he, he needs to do as Peter King counseled him this morning in Football Morning in America. A, he needs to say as little as possible. He needs to spend no time justifying anything that happened in the past, uh-huh. and he needs to quit telling people how hard he works. Uh-huh. Because it doesn't matter how hard you work. At that price, you are paid to deliver championships. Nothing else matters. Working hard, no one wants to hear it. it that's, that's a given. You're there now to deliver a championship for them. So just shut your mouth. Yeah. Be human. Um, what, I wanted to play one little bit of audio, too. This is former Bronco, former offensive lineman in the NFL, Orlando Franklin, who does a uh, radio show on Denver Sports, our sister station up in the Mile High City, and he did not hold back. Russell Wilson is a offensive coordinator killer. How many offensive coordinators have we seen go up there to Seattle and it doesn't work out with Russell Wilson, and all of a sudden they're making a change? So we know that. We've seen that in his over a decade career out there in Seattle. And now we see Russ trying to cook from the pocket. We saw him become graduate from a quarterback, from an offensive coordinator killer to a head coach killer with Nathaniel Hackett. Only 15 games Nathaniel Hackett lasted here as the Denver Broncos head coach. So for me, I don't put it past the report. I just look at the history of Russell Wilson, and the history says he's a hard guy to work with. And if you don't work with him how he sees fit, you're no longer going to be there. And when you keep on going through offensive coordinators and it doesn't work out for you, but all of a sudden you're trying to win from the pocket and your style of play has changed, and now you get shipped out, yeah, I beg to differ. Yeah, and that's Sean Payton's show now in Denver. They mm-hmm. hired their, they finalized their offensive coordinator hiring. They got Joe Lombardi who flamed out with the Chargers. 
So keep an eye on that relationship between Lombardi well, and Wilson. Yes, and, and also I think that what Sean Payton does in Denver is also going to be applic- ap- applicable to what we're watching here in Arizona, given uh-huh. the parameters that Michael Bidwell laid on this radio show last week. Mm-hmm. That it was not about paying him. That was not the issue. It was the compensation the Saints wanted. Yes. Okay. Yes. Keep an eye on all that. Keep an eye on all that. Uh, Text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, it was a miracle finish in Tucson for the Arizona State Sun Devils. What does that win mean for their NCAA tournament resume? What does it do to Arizona's psyche moving forward? We'll talk some college basketball with uh, Casey Jacobson next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Free throw on the way. Got it. So the final 2.9 seconds inbounded to Des Cambridge. Launches from backcourt. He made it! He made it! He made it! Des Cambridge knocks down a three from backcourt. And the Sun Devils have won it! Yeah, what a weekend in college basketball. Furious comeback by Iowa against Michigan State. Michigan gets a buzzer beater to force overtime. They beat Wisconsin. Florida State a buzzer beater to beat Miami. And, of course, uh, ASU and that miracle at McHale with Tim Healy and Kyle Dodd on the call here to talk some college basketball with us. It's been a while since we've talked to our next guest from FS1, Pac-12 Network. Casey Jacobson, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Casey, how are you? Van and Vince, it's a pleasure to be with you guys, man. I've missed you. Um, we are not in March yet, but man, did that Saturday feel like the first or second round of the NCAA tournament, man. I was working Fox, uh, uh, the studio show, and I was just like, my heart was pounding the whole time going, watching all those games. This is why we love college basketball so much. It is why we, we love the tournament. But uh, that Arizona State-Arizona game was the best game of the day and probably um, the most consequential game of the season to date. That was awesome. Uh, and let's talk about those consequences because, you know, under Bobby Hurley's tenure, the Sun Devils have been so, so close. It feels like to a breakthrough. They've had great starts. They've had great individual vic- victories. They've had recurring collapses down the stretch. There have been a lot of speculation that the, the the end of days might be coming for whatever reason. For that shot to materialize against that team in Tucson on command, what are the consequences of that shot? Well, I, I want to give Arizona State their credit, um, but while also putting it into context, uh, I think, Dan, you did a nice job of setting up. It, it's been a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have followed this team, this Arizona State program over the past several years, I guess it's just Bobby Early's tenure. The highs are high, the lows are low. There's really nothing in between. Would you like a little bit more consistency year to year? Yes. But when this team is is good, especially this year's Arizona State Sun Devil team, when they are good, when they are locked in on defense, they're a monster. They're in passing lanes with Des Cambridge. Devin Cambridge is as versatile a defensive player as you'll find in the Pac-12 Conference. He can guard positions one through five. Warren Washington is really solid um, as a rebounder, as a as a shot deterrent. Um, so I like what they what they offer defensively. It's offensively where their shot selection has been all over the place yes. this year. They don't make threes. Remember in the first matchup between the Wildcats and Tempe, I called that game for Fox. I think they were three for 27 were the Sun Devils from three. Um, they've had a few games like that where it's just frustrating. And um, But that was not the case on Saturday. They, they put it all together. 
they were locked in to start. Um, now they had a couple of starters who who kind of no showed uh, offensively. I would say like Devin Cambridge only made three baskets. Frankie Collins was zero for five, mm-hmm. and so I, I was a little bit worried there. But they got amazing contributions from two bench players, Jemiah Neal and Alonzo Gaffney, came in and were ready to go and filled in the gap. Um, really, really impressive. But what is the um, what's the consequences? The consequences are I had Arizona State completely off my radar. Not not like totally buried, no chance to make the make the tournament. But like they weren't in my like personal next four out. They were like in that next group of tier yeah. uh, teams after that. This shot puts this shot and win puts them right back in the thick of things. There's a lot of teams in the country that are struggling to get wins. A lot of bubble teams all over the place. Um, That's as good of a win for a bubble team as there's been in the last three to four weeks, maybe even a season, you could argue. And now Arizona State has their own, they control their own destiny. They have at uh, UCLA and at USC, both quad one opportunities for them. That's exactly what you want this time of year. Yeah, Casey Jacobson, FS1 college basketball analyst, also Pac-12 Network, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think there's work left to be done for for ASU. They have not dealt with success well this year, Casey. They mm-hmm. they broke into the top 25. They got routed in their next game by San Francisco. Then they were getting close to the top 25 again and lost three straight. So I'm curious to see what happens this weekend in LA. On the flip side of that game in Tucson, you know, you know, Arizona. It's a heart breaking loss for them. Uh, obviously, they have no chance of winning the regular season title in the Pac-12 now. After the game, their coach Tommy Lloyd called out their best player, Azulis Tabellis, the probable Pac-12 player of the year for his for his uh, shoddy defense, as he called it. I mean, what are the ramifications? How do you view Arizona moving forward from from a loss like that? Um, it, it's it's devastating for them, and when I say devastating, it, it's a different. Uh, it, it's different. Uh, it doesn't knock them out of the tournament, obviously. Uh, it does take them, like you mentioned, uh, out of the um, the running for Pac-12 regular season title, although I think Arizona has bigger goals in mind. Mm-hmm. What it does, though, is it switches. Like UCLA, UCLA is definitely a two-seed out west and now has an absolute chance uh, if they sweep the Arizonas at uh, at Poly Pavilion this next week. UCLA is going to be a one seed. I mean, Purdue just lost again. Yeah. Purdue's lost three or four. Um, so, you know, it, it, it'll bump them down. It'll take them out of probably Las Vegas contention, right? Las Vegas is this. Uh, if, if you're a uh, top seed in the West region, you're going to get to play in Las Vegas in the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 rounds, and we all know how important that would be for a, for a Western school um, to be able to travel there and and win there. Does it change Arizona's um, trajectory to or potential to win a NCAA championship or get to a Final Four? I don't believe it does. I still think this Arizona team is one of the best offensive teams in the country. Here's here's the disturbing trend a little bit. Um, A couple things. Um, About a month ago, we were talking about Arizona turning the page defensively. It looked like they were – because – I think last month or six weeks ago, they were ranking in the 80s, 70s or 80s in overall defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. 
And then they played uh, USC and UCLA and really held down both of those teams. And then just a couple days later, they got that revenge win against Washington State on the road. I think they held Washington State to only 58 points at home. And it looked like they were just like – they were focusing on defense. Well, in the last couple of weeks, they gave up 88 points to a bad Stanford team and then 89 points to an Arizona State team that, that you know, yeah. has been all over the map offensively. That's a disturbing trend. And then addressing the, the Tommy Lloyd thing, I, I love Tommy. I think he's a fantastic. I think it's totally appropriate sometimes to call out your best player if you think that he had a bad day in a certain area. He didn't call him a bad player. He just said he, had, he, was, he was not good tonight defensively. Didn't give me the effort that I was looking for. Um, that's totally fine. Azulis Tabellis needs to respond to that. And the other thing is, uh, uh, Umar Balo's been like really inconsistent. You guys know the first, from from the very start of the season all the way up until January 21st, Umar Balo has scored in double figures every single game for, for the Wildcats. Since January 21st, they've played nine games. He's only scored uh, double figures in four of those nine games, including seven points last night against Arizona State. He has not been as consistent and dominant as he's been all season, and I don't know what's going on with him either. Alright, lastly, really quick, Casey, Des Cambridge, uh, who made that remarkable shot for ASU, he has played 140 games in college basketball, three different stops. There's people who believe the NIL are going to effectively keep people in college basketball, which might lead to a renaissance for the sport because we know the one-and-dones that, that really kind of ruined the momentum the sport had. Does that make sense to you, or, or is it not the same if guys are bouncing from place to place? Oh, I, I love that guys are staying. I love that Drew Timmy uh, came back and Oscar Sheepway came back. Um, and actually, by the way, Drew Timmy might, he, he says he's not coming back, but he's only a true senior. Uh, he could come back for a fifth year. Um, I think it's absolutely, uh, Dan, I think it's helped um, the sport of college basketball to have older players come back. And I, I know it's, um, you know, there's a, an effect that it's had on high school players that hasn't been great. I feel for those guys. But um, for the product of college basketball, there's a lot of mid-major programs and high-major programs that are able to turn around their rebuilds a lot quicker Mm -hmm. than they used to be able to do because of the transfer portal and guys coming back. Um, I loved my college experience, so it would have been fun to come back and get paid to play in college. Uh Let's go, man. Uh (laughs) Let's go, man. (laughs) Casey, always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Appreciate you making time for us, and hopefully we can chat again when uh, tournament time's rolling around. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Thank you, too. Casey Jacobson, FS1, and Pac-12 Network College Hoops Analyst joined us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, it's early, but spring training is off to a very interesting start, both locally and nationally. We'll get into some of it next. It's Pickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Pickley and Murata Mornings. Pitch and a shot to deep right center. Well struck and well gone. A three-run homer, the second of the day for a Padre, and it's 14-2 San Diego. That one off the bat of Juan Soto, a three-run homer. And you heard Greg Schulte correctly, 14-2 in the fourth inning yesterday. Yeah, it got away from early, Vinny. It did. Um, I wonder, I wonder. We'll start here on this, uh, this uh, baseball discussion. Is this a sign of things to come? Diamondbacks no. versus Padres. I'm not just talking about the, the Diamondbacks getting shelled, but 
It was spring. Soto raking. Their team is ridiculous. Manny Machado is signing an 11-year, $350 million extension with the Padres. And this is life in the NL West for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Dodgers and Padres are two of the top spending yeah. teams, and that's the reality you're facing. And even with the optimism about the Diamondbacks this this uh, season, uh, they are improved. A lot of people are picking them as a dark horse contender to make a, you know, the National League playoffs. Can you topple these teams that are spending hand over fist? That's that is the question. The runaway spending in Major League Baseball, all it takes is a few owners at the top to do it and if they've got the cap- the capital to do it, it makes a big big difference and again, it's I, I find it fascinating that that Mike Hazen ha- has to, he's got no other choice but to take this attitude of defiance which he took with us during Newsmakers week when he came out and said, "Hey, look, I don't want to hear about it." Because I I don't have access to that, and it's not part of what we can do here. So you you wish him luck. And again, I, yes, there's a way to not do it. Uh, there's a way you can be the Tampa Rays. You can you can put together such a good farm system that you compete for wild card berths year uh-huh. after year. I get all that, uh, but at some point in time, I think the organization is going to have to keep some of its core players. Yeah, because I don't think this fan base is going to tolerate another letting a guy go like they did with Goldie and like they did with with uh, uh, Max Scherzer and I'm sure there's others. And, and so I think there's that, but I also think that, you know, it's when you start when you start watching playoff baseball and you start getting to the championship series and you get to the World Series, you see you see how good these teams are and you see what it takes to get there. And I don't know. I don't know if they have enough. Yep. I, I guess we're going to find out. Here's Mike Hazen uh, last week on our show from Newsmakers Week on that very subject, competing with the free spenders in L.A. and San Diego. I don't really care about payroll. I'll be honest with you. It is what it is. Like it's 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 a crutch. It's an excuse. Um, I think we have every ability to go out and put a good team on the field. Do am I blind to the difference in a uh, hundred fifty million dollar payroll gap on on your payroll? No. Um, we we it has it has its advantages, and, and the biggest advantage being when somebody goes down on one of those teams that they could you know buy or have a have a better player um, sitting underneath that than we might be able to have. However, we have the ability through the draft and, and all and acquisitions around the league and trades and free agent signings where we can do the same thing. We just haven't done as good a job of it as the Dodgers or the Padres. Yes, uh, and then there's the reality that the Padres probably aren't done. Here's Tim Kirkchin on that subject. He's got three players now signed into their age 40 seasons and that's Xander Bogarts, Machado, and Hugh Darvish. So he's taken a big risk here. And let's not forget, he's still got Juan Soto on that team that he's got to, if he wants to keep him, extend him at what will probably be the largest contract of all time. And there's no doubt he's going to at least consider going after Shohei Otani. So this thought that the Padres have done all their work and now they're just going to go with this for the next five or ten years, that's not how it's going to work. They're going to keep going and keep building and keep spending money. Yeah, Machado's going to average $31.8 million a year. They will have five twenty million dollar players on the roster That's this crazy. season. Machado, Bogarts at twenty five point four, Darvish at twenty five, Soto before the extension at twenty three, Joe Musgrove making twenty million a year. 
I mean, that's the Diamondbacks payroll right there. Mm-hmm. Just those. That, that's right there. You're done. It. That's and over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and you're done. Uh, and it's it's interesting because there was a time this off season when the Diamondbacks were under a hundred million. They were like ninety nine point seven, but they were one of eleven teams that were sub one hundred million dollars in terms of their payroll. And uh-huh. that's when when you stack that up to what's going on with the Padres, the Dodgers, and the Mets. I mean, there was a time when it was George Steinbrenner and the rest, everybody else was like, stop spending so much money. Yeah. Right. And and now it's the runaway spending is just out of control. There's and it's seven teams with over two hundred million dollar payrolls this year. Yeah. So how do you how do you make up a how do you make up a hundred million dollar gap in payroll, much less two hundred million dollars in players? How do you, you need to hit 10, on every one of your prospects? Million dollar players. You're yes. seating the other side. I mean, spending the money guarantees nothing. One of those seven teams is the Angels. They have a two hundred and two million dollar payroll. They haven't sniffed the postseason in forever with two of the best players we've seen in our lifetimes. Yep. On their roster, you want something else that's daunting? Well, look at the Mets number. The Yankees, the Yankees right now are second with a two hundred and sixty-seven million dollar payroll. The Mets are at three hundred and thirty-six million. <laughs> Do you remember not that long ago being over one hundred million was huge? Yeah, yeah. And then right. the flip side is, I mean, this is the same sport that these teams are playing. The Oakland A's, their total payroll is forty million nine hundred twenty-five thousand. <laughs> How do you compete? You, I mean, if you're the A's, you don't. They're, right. they're going to win 45, 50 games mm-hmm. this year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Unless they pull out some money ball magic, which I don't see happening. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And then you, know, and then you get the, the, the quotes from Tony Clark over the weekend, too, the head of the MLBPA, portending another lockout because they're going to they're gonna want a salary cap and will never, ever agree to a salary cap. <laughs> Baseball can't get out of its own way no, on this front. No, no. Not on this front, it can. So you know, you, but at least you wish, the games are quicker. Listen, so you wish Mike Hazen luck in this because yes. I do believe in Mike Hazen. I do I, too. Yeah, and, and you wish the playing field was a little more level. You wish that the Diamondbacks had an owner with with more revenue you could allocate to payroll. But this is a very tricky market. You've got Bally Sports filing for bankruptcy. We don't know what this is going to look like for them. They've got the stadium issue hanging over them. It's not a it's not a great time to be banking on the future of the Diamondbacks. And let's hope that they've got the People in charge making the personnel decisions can can transcend all of this stuff that's right there in front of them. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. Coming up next, we'll hit the nine o'clock hour. We'll check out what's going on on social media at Twitter. Sarah Cazell will take us through some social studies next. It's Pickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.